Good evening, and welcome to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm author and host Kevin Hopkins, and this is episode 164. Tonight we are in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, and we'll take up the conversation uh, at verse 4 in just a moment, John 16, 4. I do need to uh, let you know, or at least want to let you know, that uh, the the internet rating organization called Feedspot has once again recognized this podcast as one of the top 25 revelation-oriented podcasts in the world. Uh, we're at number nine on that list right now. So um, I'm, I'm grateful. You know, we don't do this for ratings or any of that. If someone enjoys what we do, I'm, I'm just grateful for that. Grateful to be useful to somebody. And when uh, a ratings organization contacts us and says, hey, we've put you on our top 25 list once again. Your performance in the last six months has been stronger than your performance in the previous six months. And so uh, congratulations once again, you're on our list. I'm pretty excited about that. So thanks to Anuj and the folks at Feedspot. Um, the recognition is appreciated and we will continue to try and do what we do to provide insight, uh, encouragement, and certainly revelation, whether it's from the book of Revelation or from Job or from the Gospel of John. Uh, or from whatever's next. Our purpose is to give you the revealing of, of the purpose behind God's Word for each day in your life. And if we're remotely successful at doing that, it's worth it. John chapter 16, verse 4. I have told you all these things so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said, I am going. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate cannot come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you could bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me 
because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So again, we're in kind of this this protracted discussion about Jesus sending the Holy Spirit. Again, this, I'm going where you won't know. You don't know where I'm going, but I'm going there. You can't come with me right now. You won't see me at first. Then you'll see me again, talking about he will be resurrected. Then I'm going to send you the Spirit, and the Spirit is truth, and the Spirit will guide you into all truth. And he will only say what I tell him to say because I've only said what the Father has told me to say. It's this discussion, this assurance about the coming of the Holy Spirit and the authority which will continue to be seen at work in the lives of the disciples. I didn't have to tell you all these things while I was still with you. But now that I'm going, I have to tell you these things so that you're ready when they come. And the one who will help you make sense of it all, that's the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit is going to lead you into truth. And the truth that he's going to lead you into is proof that the world has been wrong and is always wrong about three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. The world is always wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. How is the world wrong about sin? Aren't we all pretty clear on what sin is? Well, actually, we're, we're not. And the world is horrible at defining sin because the world wants to sin. And so the world calls what is sin okay, virtually calling it righteousness. So the world wants everything to be permissive. And in order to make it permissive, they have to call it acceptable. And in calling it acceptable, they're including God in that acceptableness. So they're calling sin righteousness. And if you try to stand against it, they will call your righteousness sinful. Right? That's how this world works. They want to do what they want to do, and they will do anything they have to to justify their sin because they're wrong about it. They don't want to recognize that it's sin. I don't like black and white messages. I think that most of the time, the world is not black and white. And, and all of the time, I want to leave room for grace. My sister told me a few years ago, 
Kevin, you look at our family because I was just discovering my birth family. She said, you look at our family and the things that you don't know and the people that you don't know, you fill in those blanks with grace. And I thought, yes, that's exactly who I want to be all the time. Now, I'm not always good at that. That isn't always who I am. But it is who I want to be. It is how I want to live my life. I want to fill in the blanks with grace. That's not calling sin righteousness. That's allowing room for grace to work in people's lives and save them and call them out of unrighteousness into the light. But the world endorses its sin and says that it's okay. There's nothing wrong with this. It doesn't matter who you love. It's just one love. There's only one kind of love in the world and all love is good. Well, that's two untrue statements. There's not just one kind of love in the world. I love my wife. I also love green beans. Is there just one love? Do I love green beans the same way that I love my wife? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I would fight and die for my wife. I'm not fighting and dying for green beans. If you tell me we're having green beans for dinner, I'll be very pleased. But I'd rather miss dinner and spend time with my wife if that's the choice because I love her in a different way than I love green beans. You see, I love my pets. We have four dogs and I love those little beasts to no end. Do I love them the same way I love my wife or my children? No. Do I love my children the same way I love my wife or her the same way I love my children? No. I would fight and die for both of them, but my love is different for each of them in nature. There's not just one love in this world. That's a lie. Do I love my brothers? Yes. Do I love my sisters? Yes. Do I love them the same? No. Do I love them with the same love that I love my wife? No. With the same love with which I love my dogs? Well, no. And none of them in the, in the way that I love green beans. I'm not going to have my brothers and sisters for lunch, but I'll have green beans anytime. You see, the world wants you to think it's all the same. There's just one love, but there's not one love. Even in the biblical language, there are four kinds of love. Eros, which is that attracting love, that love that you're walking down the hallway in, a, in high school and you see a member of the opposite sex and something inside you goes, oh, wait, that's different. Look at him, look at her. I never realized 
She was so cute. I wonder if she'll talk to me. Eros, it draws us together for the very first time over things that are truly very surface. It doesn't know any any details. It doesn't have any understanding. It has no depth. That's why it can easily be misdirected into eroticism, into pornography, into visual attraction without any depth, without any substance. If it leads us in the wrong direction, it's still eros. It's still a a kind of love. It, It may be, in fact, the way I love green beans. But it's That's not its intended purpose. You can use eros, one of the Greek words for love that appears in the Bible. You can use that love improperly and be dragged away by it. Philadelphia. Philos. The the name Philadelphia means the city of brotherly love. The Delphos, the city of philos. Of brotherly love. Philos in the Bible is, is that love between best friends. Our arms are across each other's shoulders. We are marching in step. We are facing this world together. We are buds for life. We are BFFs. That's us. Philos. When Peter is restored by Jesus, Jesus asks him how he loves him. And Peter says, Lord, you know, I love you like a brother. And this is the word that he uses. I I fill off you. And we'll talk about that little scene in a lot more detail. But it's that word for love that says we're in this together through thick and thin. The next word is storge, S-T-O-R-G-E, storge. Now, storge love is is really interesting because it's the kind of love that that you have for a person who, who can't return that love. Storge is that kind of love that a parent has as they wait by the bedside of a child who's in a coma or has lost consciousness and cannot return love at the moment. Storge hangs on. Storge doesn't quit. Storge will make up the difference when the other party can't give. It's it's a little bit more resilient than Eros or Philos. Storge has some depth and some real anchors to it. And then there's Agape. Agapas. Agape love is love that says, I will love you even if your response, and you can respond, I'll love you even if your response is absolutely inappropriate. Even if you would kill me, I will still love you. You can see why we call it God love. It's the way God loved us in Christ. 
When we look at love, real love, and the forms that it can take, and we realize that when the world says, one love, baby, the world is lying to you. We understand that the world does not properly define sin ever. It can't. If it did, it would condemn itself. And so it has to, it has to pervert the, the definition of sin. And then it also, by necessity, then has to pervert the definition of righteousness. What does the world consider to be right? Jesus says there's a way that seems right to a man, the end of which is death. Wide is the road and many who walk therein that leads to destruction, narrow the path and few who find it that leads to eternal life. Because the world improperly defines sin and then by necessity, righteousness. So what does the world consider to be right? Well, treating each other kindly, being polite, having manners, not being offensive, not being divisive, unless it's divisive the way the world wants you to be divisive, right? Not being offensive unless it's the way the world wants you to be offensive. There are people it's okay to offend and people it's not okay to offend. So you can offend the offendable ones. You can attack them in restaurants. You can deny them a place to sit. You can call them names. You can chant shame at them and run them out of businesses. But their chosen populations, you're not allowed to treat that way. Is that righteousness? To treat one group with preference and not another? Absolutely not. That's not righteousness. But to the world, that's what's right. There's some, some type of justice. You'll notice that the term that the world often uses is justice. We want justice. If you're smart, you'll never ask for justice. You'll ask for grace. Because the truth is, if any of us got justice, we'd be done for. We would have been drowned as pups. God never would have let us get past the age of two if there were justice in this world. If God was a just God and not a gracious God, If instead of grace, our salvation had purchased us justice, we wouldn't make it past the age of two. The human race would be doomed because none of us are fit to live past that first tantrum if the world is just. If God is just. So you see the world without Christ, without grace, the world dare not talk about sin and or righteousness, either of them in proper terms because they're condemned either way. If we properly define sin, we're guilty. If we properly define righteousness, we have none. Filthy rags, you see. 
And if the world properly condemns either one of those, if the world properly defines either one of those, they're condemned. The world is wrong about sin. It's wrong about righteousness. And it's wrong about judgment. Because the world will never reveal to you the one who truly deserves judgment. There's a dangerous, a dangerous proclivity in the church and in the world. When Christians stand up for what's righteous, truly righteous, truly biblical, the world says, you're a Christian, you're not supposed to judge. And there's truth to that and there's falsehood to that. As Christians, it's really easy for us to say, wait, the Bible says, judge not lest ye be judged. You can't judge. Man's never fit to judge because he only sees the outside and he can't see the heart. Only God can judge. And again, there's a big measure of truth to that and there's a measure of falsehood to that. Here's what I mean. You and I are called to judge what is truth for ourselves. What is revelatory to us personally. We are called to judge what we adopt as truth into our lives. And that means every message that comes to me has to be judged. Not the people, maybe not even the circumstances, not the setting, not the organization, but the message that tries to get into my mind and heart has to be judged. The words have to be judged. I have to discern whether it is truth or lie. And if it's lie, I must not accept it. I have to judge it as worthlessness because that's what it is. When it has to do with me, I have to be so discerning because a message may come to me that says, you need to be more careful about the way you organize your life, about the things that you prioritize. I may not like that message. That doesn't mean it's not truth. It doesn't mean it's not meant for me. And so my discernment has to be unashamedly, unfiltered, honest. In Alcoholics Anonymous, they say one of the steps is we took a fearless and searching moral inventory. Our discernment has to be fearless and searching. We have to be able to admit when a truth comes for entrance into our spirit, if it's true, even if it's hard on us, we have to admit that's truth that has to come in. If it's not truth, if it's condemnational, if it's ridiculing or ridiculous, if it's 
if it's negative to the extent that it would harm our person, if it's not God's word, if it's not a word that would ever come from God, then it has to be stopped, locked out, and discounted. Discarded. I have to judge what I take into my life as revelation and truth because no one else can determine that for me. God gives me that responsibility and holds me accountable to it. That which I adopt as truth becomes my theology. The words that I believe about God are formed as I let truth shape my life. And my, my words about God, my ideas about God are either built on truth or they're built on something else. And if they're built on anything but truth, they will not hold up when the pressure's on. You see? The world is wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. The world judges by an entirely different criteria than Christians should or do use. The world's judgment will never be your judgment or my judgment. And vice versa, my judgment will never suit the world. If I stand up against a book that is that is thinly veiled pornography for fourth graders, and I say that doesn't belong in the fourth grade school library, there will be people who say, now you're banning books. No, I'm not banning the book from the world. Other people can purchase it on Amazon if they like. It simply doesn't need to be sitting on the shelf of my fourth grade library. Anytime I stand up against that kind of misjudgment and unrighteousness, I am going to get judged by the world who says, you can't judge, but we'll judge you. See, it doesn't have to be consistent. As soon as you stand up for what's truly righteous, the world will bring its poor definitions of sin and righteousness and judgment and use them against you. And they will not allow you to tell them how to define sin, righteousness, or judgment. You will have to accept their judgment in their court by their people on their terms under their law. And whatever you're trying to stand up for this Jesus stuff is inconsequential to them. That difference is going to get greater and greater as the world ages. The longer we live apart from Christ's person in this world, the worse it gets. Is the Holy Spirit here? Absolutely. Does the world listen to him? Absolutely not. 
And so this world slides further and further from the heart of God and the truth about sin, righteousness, and judgment. It gets worse by the day. The darkness gets darker. The, the light appears brighter because the darkness is changing. The darkness is getting darker. The light can't get any lighter, but it looks brighter because the darkness is dark and getting darker. You and I and our testimony will stand out more as the world becomes muddier and murkier about sin, righteousness, and judgment. If we'll just stick to the truth. What's the truth? The truth is that all have sinned and do fall short of the glory of God. The truth is, I have no righteousness of my own, but only that which is imparted to me because I'm hidden in Christ Jesus, because God made him who knew no sin to be absolute sin in our place so that in him we might become the absolute righteousness of God. But only in him. It's not my righteousness. It's what he's given me. Anytime I think I've accomplished something or I've done something or I mean something in the kingdom, I'm wrong. Christ is everything. Christ is all there is in the kingdom. And anyone who wants to enter into the kingdom can come only in him. If your life is hidden in Christ, you're going to walk right into the kingdom in Christ. If you're out there trying to make it on your own, even if you're out there calling yourself a Christian and trying to do it on your own power, you're in trouble. That's not how you get into the kingdom. The world is always going to misdefine sin, righteousness, and judgment. And as the world impedes, as the world impinges on the church, as the world's thinking becomes the church's thinking, you're going to see the church also wrong on sin and righteousness and judgment. What's the standard? The standard is God's word, the Bible. And anyone who doesn't stand with God's word on those three issues is wrong. Myself included. And friend, there have been plenty of times that I've wanted to justify my own sin. And I was wrong. There have been plenty of times that I wanted to redefine my own righteousness. And I was wrong. There have been plenty of times I wanted to define how my judgment would go, and I was wrong. Until I realized that when I come to Christ, confessing my sin, the one who confesses gets a verdict right away. The one who confesses invites judgment to be had at that moment. I am guilty. You may now judge me. And I deserve the worst punishment you can hand out. But 
I confess I'm guilty. That's what confessing our sins is. The good news is we have a judge and an advocate. We have an advocate, Christ, who sits at our side in the courtroom and a judge who's the father of the advocate. And the advocate says, Father, this one deserves the worst punishment. You can hand him bar none. But I've already paid his price. I died in his place. He deserves death, but I already died for him. And the father looks on him because the sinless Savior died. My guilty soul can be set free because God the righteous was satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's how that works. That's the truth about sin and righteousness and judgment and grace. The world can't get it right because the world does not understand grace. And if the church loses sight of grace, the church messes it up too. My dear friend, my prayer for you today is that you can rightly discern sin and righteousness and judgment because you are a child of God's grace.